say this. Uh, so, I don't know if this is exactly a Father's Day message today or not. I mean, it is. It's for parents in general, but it's also very much in the, in the science. It's duly for, if you're a teenager, you're a young adult, this is for you today. Okay, I want you to listen. And, and, and so, and, and, and men, those of you who generally whine on Father's Day because you say, I'm nice to the ladies on Mother's Day and beat you guys up on Father's Day, you shouldn't have anything to whine about this time. And like John said, stop whining anyway. So, uh, so but seriously, this is very much, it's a, it's a dual application. I mean, if you're young and, and trying to figure out your life, this will speak to you. Uh, this will speak to us as parents, at least, I guess, primarily if you still have kids at, at, at home. And uh, I think I'll also say this. Um, in some ways, I'm speculating a little bit on, on, on some of this. This is just something that's always intrigued me. We're going to look at the story of you know, da- Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny, if you're of a certain generation and remember uh, veggie tales, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Any veggie tale fans here? Uh, if you're a certain age, you may not know. I mean, he may kill me for saying this, but it's Father's Day, so I can say what I want. But uh, our, our son Jay, at a certain point in his life, if you ask him what his name was, he would have said James Paul Inman Jr. Asparagus Cucumber, because <laughs> he couldn't leave out Larry the Cucumber while, while he was at it. But uh, you know, just kind of always wondered, you know, these young uh, men, exactly whatever age they were, maybe teenagers, uh, you know, how were they able to do what they did in the culture that they went to? And <clears throat> so that's going to speak to you if you're young. It's going to speak to us as parents because I'm sure part of it had to do with this is a little speculative on their parents preparing them. But with that said, let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you that we can call you Father uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that you would be glorified in this time. Lord, I ask that your spirit would speak through your word and uh, that each of us would take from this what we need to take and that we would apply it to our lives and that you would do a work uh, of grace within each of us through your spirit, that you would raise us up and use us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope this statement, this first sentence makes sense. Understand I'm speaking figuratively, okay? But uh, figuratively speaking, we don't live in Jerusalem. We live in Babylon. Does that make sense? We don't live in Jerusalem. We live in Babylon. And if if you understand what I'm saying... That has to affect the way we live our lives. It has to affect the way we raise our children. And it has to affect how we function as a church. Because if you're living in exile in a foreign land, you're not in control, and your approach is not primarily to change everything around you. Your approach is to live in a missionary, as a missionary, in an ungodly pagan culture. And that's part of the reason why I say, you know, as American citizens, we have rights and obligations, but as the church, our responsibility is not politics, it's the Great Commission. 
But if we live in Babylon instead of Jerusalem, what that would mean is our, this, our culture is trying to shape everyone, but particularly our children into its own mold. See, the Bible talks about our spiritual enemies being the world, the flesh, and the devil. And of course, the, the devil is Satan, fallen angel, our flesh is our own sin nature, the battle that's inside of us. But, but the world speaks of this world's system, this world's philosophies, this world's ideas that are opposed to, to God, you know, anti-Christian worldviews and those kind of things. And so uh, this, this world, uh, those that are opposed to God, those that aren't Christians, aren't living with a Christian worldview, are, are through advertising, movies, music, news, social media, uh, education, different avenues trying to shape and, and mold and recreate people, children, into their images with false ungodly, unbiblical messages about truth, about morality, about self-expression, about identity, about sexuality, about gender, on and on and on. And that's the reality that we face. Here's an example, a news story from a little town in Wisconsin. The parents of three Wisconsin middle school students are asking the school district to stop a sexual harassment investigation into their sons and clear their records of any sort of charges or investigations. The parents say that according to the, to the Kill Area School District, the Kill Middle School students are under investigation for mispronouncing pronouns when referring to a classmate. Last month, the parents of three eighth graders were notified their sons were being charged by school district officials with sexual harassment. Uh, a section of Title IX prohibits gender-based harassment in the form of name-calling on the basis of sex. The district claims the boys were not referring to the students' requested pronouns of they and them. Rose Rabideau, the mother of a student involved, told uh, WBAY, the, the news station, uh, that she accompanied her son the day after the notification to an interview with school officials. She told them the use of the pronouns was confusing to her son, and he had no obligation to refer to the classmate by those pronouns. Sexual harassment, that's rape, that's incest, that's inappropriate touching. What did my son do? He's a little boy. Uh, and, and then the, the principal told me that he was being charged with sexual harassment for not using the right pronouns. Uh, Rabideau said the classmate only announced their preferred pronouns earlier this year and preferred those pronouns be used when identifying them. It's plural. It doesn't make sense to him. Which, you know, not only are we butchering identity, we're butchering the English language. I mean, is it not confusing to see some, an individual referred to in the plural? I mean, I, I get why an eighth grade boy would be confused by that. So I told him to call them by their names. Through a letter from their attorney, the parents are asking for the charges to be dropped immediately, saying they have no standing legally, and their lawyer says it's not sexual harassment under Title IX, under their own policy, under federal law, and it's probably a First Amendment violation. 
And I just share that as one of a multitude of examples uh, that could be shared of, of saying that we live in a culture that is trying to mold its children into their image. That uh, there is an intentional effort to do that. But it's not new. This is exactly what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were transported from amongst their people to Babylon. And so here's some background. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1 and read the first couple of verses just to kind of set the stage. And again, the point here is if this is the reality, what can we learn from this passage? If you're a parent, that's going to help shape and guide and prepare our children for this culture that we're living in. And if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, if you're trying to figure your life out, if you're making plans for what you're going to do with your life, how does this speak to that and who you're called to be and how you prepare and how God wants to use you? So I think this is extremely practical for where we are in life. So first couple of verses of Daniel uh, to set the stage, say, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And uh, Dr. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on Daniel, uh, explains it this way. Again, just kind of set the stage. He says verse 1 provides the historical context. Verse 2 provides the theological explanation. Judah, the southern kingdom, had been in political and spiritual decline for some time. During the reign of Jehoiakim, one of Judah's worst kings, who was nothing like his godly father Josiah, um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jerusalem in 605 B.C. This happened because, quote, this is what the text says, the Lord handed, and they're saying the, the, the big theme of um, Daniel is the sovereignty of God. The fact that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all, including nations and human political rulers. But the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. The vessels of God as trophies of war were transported to Babylon, probably Marduk, the chief god of the Babylons. This is a way of them saying, our God is better and stronger than your God. Daniel, on the other hand, says, not so. The people of God have sinned, and the real God is judging them. In the process, he is extending his presence among the nations. God is at work even through the sins of his people. So, that, that's the background. But again, what we're going to see is the Babylonians took the, these young men who were like the cream of the crop, and they tried to reshape them into the image of their culture, to mold them, and then ultimately to use them for their own ends. And Dr. Aiken says they were doing this by four different ways. 
one isolation. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So they were taken away from their family, brought into this foreign land, uh, brought under the king's tutelage, almost kind of like in the royal school. They were on their own. Again, how were they prepared to do what God wanted them to do in this situation? Then, there wasn't just isolation, there was indoctrination. Look at verse 4. It says, Young men in whom there was no blemish, uh, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand. Again, they were the cream of the crop. It sounded like the ladies would have liked uh, these young men. Uh, but it said they had ability to serve in the king's palace, to whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Again, they were indoctrinating them into their culture. And much of what is called education today is really indoctrination. And then there was, there was assimilation. They were trying to assimilate them out of their culture into their culture. Verse 5 says, The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, uh, which would have been different than their Hebrew diet, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So they were, they were going to experience three years of indoctrination with the purpose of assimilating them, basically making them Babylonian in every way, including their religion, instead of Jewish. They were uh, essentially trying to uh, take them uh, away from the one true God and make them worshipers of their own uh, gods, Babylonian gods, create confusion in them. We see this in verses 6 and 7 in particular because they changed their names. And names are very important to the Jewish people. They're very important in that day and time. It says, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave the name. Uh, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And I use the Believer's Study Bible, and the notes there say this: uh, In addition to adapting to the provisions associated with the diet and habit of the king himself, the four Hebrews discovered a thoroughness in the Babylonian attempts to erase from their minds all memory of former religious commitment. To this end, their names, all of which in some way incorporated the name of the true God, were replaced with names containing references to the diverse gods of Babylon. So Daniel, which is God is my judge, went to Belteshazzar, lady protect the king. Hananiah, God has been gracious to Shadrach, I'm very fearful. Uh, Mishael, who is what God is, to Meshach, I am of little account. Azariah, the Lord has helped to Abednego, servant of the Shining One, which would have been one of their gods, Nebo. So, again, they're trying to remake, reshape them in the image of their culture. And so, if you would agree with my premise that the world is trying to do that to us today, the question would be, Teenager, young adult, how do you respond to this? Parents, how do we prepare our kids to live in a world like this? And, and I would say this to us as parents. 
The world's efforts to reshape our children is both a challenge to guard against and an opportunity to take advantage of. It's certainly a concern, but I don't think biblical parenting is to be done out of fear. And I don't think the goal of uh, parenting biblically is to hide our children away in a corner somewhere and try to protect them from all the boogeymen around them. And I don't think it's the job of the church to exist as a bomb shelter to hide from the world until Jesus comes back. In fact, I would say that uh, we need to stop playing so much defense and start, start playing a little offense. I mean, if we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and we believe that the Bible is the absolute, word, or a- absolute truth of God, and-, and we believe that we're indwelled uh, with the Holy Spirit uh, of an um- omnipotent God, and we believe that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us, what do we really have to fear at the end of the day? If God is really in control of this world, and he's in control of our lives, and he has a plan for us, can we not trust? Trust him to use us? Can we not trust him with our children? And can we not live to make a difference in the world instead of running and hiding and whining about everything? I mean, you think about sports. You think about basketball. You ever scored any points while you're playing defense? I mean, football. I guess you can recover a fumble and run it back for a touchdown, intercept a pass, run it back for a touchdown. That happens every once in a while. You don't score a whole lot of points on defense. You have to be on offense to score. And clearly, we need to prepare our children. Clearly, we need to protect our children. And, and I can't get into all the specifics of what that might look like. It is going to look different in particular contexts. But what I'm saying is this cuts both ways, and there's an opportunity as well. Um, how many of you remember uh, last year when Dr. Fowler from Carson Newman, it was in September, I think, baptized Greg Evans? Some of you remember that? You know, Greg's from Wales. Uh, he'd never been to a church, uh, other than like for a wedding or a funeral. Never really heard the gospel until he came here. But you remember his testimony? Uh, one of the employees at Carson Newman, she's an administrative assistant, her name's Becky Cox, invited people from the soccer team to lunch. Gre- Greg took her up on it. They gave him a Bible. They told him about Jesus. And out of that, he eventually, God drew him to himself and saved him. Greg told me recently somebody's planted a, like an actual real church in his town where he lives. I think, is he in Wales right now, Blake? Uh, and so, I'm, you know, I pray the guy, he's being a witness to his family uh, while, while he's there. But, but somebody, a Christian, instead of, you know, and this was during COVID and all this, and God used COVID even, that was part of the testimony he shared, just, you know, his loneliness, his isolation, being away uh, from his family like these boys were. There are people like that all around us that we can go to with the gospel of Christ like she did and play offense instead of defense and make a difference. That's what's going to make a difference ultimately. It's it's not whining about how terrible things are on social media. It's loving people, investing in people, sharing the gospel with people. Listen, it's 
politics are important. You know, there's a really good chance the Dobbs decision, you know, the, the case about abortion is going to come down this week. That's really important. Abortion needs to be illegal. But it also needs to be unthinkable. And now the real work starts because it's a battle for hearts and minds, state by state. But even if it were illegal in all 50 states, people are still going to pursue abortion. And and people still need the church to contend for the truth of God, to love people, to help people that are abortion-minded, to give them a better way to adopt, to uh, share grace and the gospel and love and, and show the hope and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to people who are struggling with all the spiritual, emotional, psychological difficulties that come from having had an abortion. That's our job. That's all. That's what we're called to do. And listen, you can change laws, but if you don't change hearts and minds, somebody else is just going to come along and change them back. Let's play some offense. Let's prepare our kids. Let's be prepared. And so I just want you to see in these next few verses here how they responded And again, if you're young, this is how I would encourage you to respond uh, to the world around you. Parents, I think we need to be preparing our kids with these kind of things in mind. Here's how they responded. Number one, they acted with conviction. Look at verse 8. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, drank. Therefore... He requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Key phrase and a key word here. The phrase is purposed in his heart. And the the word is therefore. If you purpose in your heart, therefore, you're going to do some things. Uh, Conviction is deciding in advance based on the truth of God. Conviction is produced by the Word of God. Uh, Conviction prevents some actions. Conviction produces other actions. Uh, What we do shows what our convictions really are. They had some convictions. They had made their minds up in advance, apparently, that they were going to do the right thing, that they were going to obey God, that they were going to follow His Word. And if we're going to stand, and if we're going to make a difference in the world in which we live... That's where it starts. has to start on the inside, working its way out to the outside, and that's what happened with them. Second, they trusted, and we can trust, that God's favor is upon us. The favor of God is the grace of God. If you're a child of God, the grace of God is upon you. What you are, you are by the grace of God. And verse 9 says, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and, and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Um, Listen, God is sovereignly ruling over the world, and, and he's sovereignly ruling over the lives of his children. He connects those two things together. And God will give you, if you're walking with him, God will give you favor where you need it to do what he has called you to do. That's the reality. That, that's the 20-year story of True Life Church. God has connected the dots and given favor where we need it. That's the story of our missions ministry. That's the story of our lives. God is arranging things to do with us what he chooses for us to do. It was no accident that these young men who were prepared, these young men who were gifted, were put in this place. And God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. God gifts you for what he's called you to do. And listen to me. If you're 10, 15, 20, 
20, 25 years old. God is preparing you for some things that he has prepared for you. God has gifted you for some things that he's calling you to do. And if you want to have eternal success and fulfillment in your life, find out how God has gifted you. Find out what God has has called you to do and, and do it and God will use you. God will bless you. It won't always be easy, but that's where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose and meaning and fruitfulness in your life. And that is the way that God works. Listen to me. Again, if you're a teenager, don't waste your life now. Don't get behind. Get prepared for what God has prepared for you. You're saying the whole concept of teenager is a product of modern American advertising? I mean, study it historically. Don't worry about being a teenager. Be a young man. Be a young woman. God can use you. Grow up now. You know, don't wait till you're 40 years old. And listen, and I'm not trying, you know, I think a lot of times we put too much pressure on young people. Don't feel like you got to have it all figured out. Just get prepared as much as you can. And however you're prepared, God won't waste it. I promise you that. And get prepared in the way that best suits you. That may be going to college, but that may be learning a trade. Prepare yourself spiritually. Listen, as parents, the Bible says, Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. He grew in wisdom, he grew intellectually, he grew socially, he grew spiritually, and he grew physically. We ought to emphasize all four of those areas in our parenting. That's how we prepare our kids. So trust that God's favor is on us. Three, function with wisdom and tact. Function with wisdom and tact. Look at what they did. And they were teenagers, probably. It says, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So, now think about this for a second. Daniel had said, let us do this another way. But this guy who was over this training is like, if that doesn't go well, it's my head that's on the line. And so... He was smart. So Daniel, they proposed a test. You know, verse 12, he says, Please test your servants for ten days. So he's got an out. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, see how tactful that is? And remember, this guy was the authority. So he's honoring authority. He's using tact. He's using wisdom. So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. The next time you're ticked off and you want to post something on social media, could you think about these verses. Use some wisdom and tact. Put yourself in the other people's place. 
And listen, as, as Christians, again, we need to stop expecting people who aren't Christians to think and act like Christians and then condemning them for not. That's unbiblical, but I'm sorry, pardon my bluntness, it's just dumb. I, I mean, it really is. I, I mean, I'll be quiet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, practice what I preach, right? Um, but, uh, well, I mean, you know, maybe here's an example. Um, you know, we've we been at the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim this past week, um, which for the most part I was pleased with how it went. We kind of whiffed on one issue related to Saddleback Church, but I think the, the other things we made the right decisions on, how we got there sometimes is a little strange. But, um, but so... Like, it was at the Anaheim Convention Center. Our hotel was right next door. I mean, literally just a few hundred feet away. And kind of near the end of the day, it was about over on Wednesday, I was walking back and in between the two. And there was a group of, uh, of four men uh, there that I kind of ended up beside. One of them was J.D. Greer, who's, you know, some of you know is preaching. He's been president of Southern Baptist Convention. One of them was Trevin Wax. Some of you know his writing with the Gospel Coalition. And two guys that, uh, you know, I don't know who they were. But uh, so just kind of walking along, there's a guy in front of them who was upset about something. I, I don't know what he was upset about. I don't know exactly how this conversation got started. But uh, Pastor Greer kind of went up to him and asked something like, you okay, or that kind of thing. And kind of what I heard was something about, we're not following protocols, and I'm about to go on social media and blow this whole thing up. And, and J.D.'s like, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, what do you say to that? But talk about missing the forest for the trees. I mean, even if this guy's right, and I don't think that he was, what are you really going to accomplish by going and complaining about a denominational meeting on social media other than giving non-Christians more ammunition to say, well, there's those Christians fighting again. Is there any wisdom and tact in that? Use wisdom, tact, be gracious, loving, kind. Uh, you can speak the truth in love, but you, know, you can say the right thing in the wrong way, and it's still wrong. Number four, be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, now think about this. Again, and this is what Dr. Aiken was, was saying at the beginning. You know, they took these, the articles of the house of God in their own house, and they, this was their way of saying, you know, our God is greater than yours, and, you know, we're in control here. But the, again, the point of Daniel is God is in control. He's using these evil people that he was ultimately going to judge to discipline his own people. But at the same time, God is a missionary God. His heart is for the nations, and God took them to Babylon to make them missionaries. We're in Babylon to be missionaries. Think about it. In, in chapters 2 and 4, Daniel spoke truth to Nebuchadnezzar, and by all appearances, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was converted, entered into a relationship with the true and living God. He spoke truth to Belshazzar uh, in chapter 5, Darius in chapter 6. Again, not just be on the defense, be on the offense, and be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
mean, here's a couple of examples. When we were in Anaheim, um, uh, you know, part of the reason we were there is for Robin's job at Carson Newman, and there was an event they were sponsoring, and they had to ship a bunch of stuff out there. And, and, and there was a bellhop uh, who helped us, and this young man, you know, he, we were just kind of waiting on the FedEx people to pull some uh, packages, and we had a few minutes to talk to him. Not a lot of time, but in the course of the conversation, you know, kind of asked him some questions, asked if he had any spiritual uh, b- beliefs, and, you know, he, he said no, you know, never really been to church, asked him what he thought about Jesus and said, you know, I just don't really know about that kind of thing. Now, just kind of pause for a second. Now, at this point, there's a couple of different ways we can go. You know, we could start thinking, well, that's just a bunch of fruitcakes out in California and start making jokes uh, and, and those kind of things. We could think, you know, uh, we need to get God back in the schools and, you know, we used to be a Christian nation and look where we've come. We got people in the United States who don't even know about Jesus. And we can be all religious and pontificate and be moralistic. Or we can be missionaries in Babylon and be gospel-centered Christians. And we didn't have a lot of time, but he can't say now that he's never heard about Jesus and that he's never heard the basics of the gospel. That's what we're called to do, where we are. We went to a, a panel discussion sponsored by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about the Dobbs case on Monday night. And one of the panelists, I don't remember his name, I don't remember what ministry he's with. He leads a pro-life ministry. But he said, uh, you know, his testimony, and he, he referred himself as a person of color. I don't know exactly what ethnicity he is. But when he was in college, a young lady who was staunchly pro-life came up to him and asked him what he thought about abortion. And he basically said, I never thought about it a whole lot, but it's legal, so it must be okay, right? And she asked him, she said, you as a person of color, do you think slavery's okay? And he said, no. And she said, well, it used to be legal. And he said that conversation started him on a journey of studying this that led to him now being the head of a pro-life ministry. One word from one bold college student. You can make a difference where you are. Stop playing defense. Start playing offense. Be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how do we prepare to respond? Let's close with this. And I I want to give you this principle and apply it to you if you're a young person and then apply it to us as parents in closing. So, let's kind of fast forward up to chapter 6. In, in, in the book of Daniel. And, and this is the principle. Disciplined private devotion leads to public victories. Disciplined private devotion leads to public victories. Look at Daniel. It says, the beginning of Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. 
Look at verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. He was a man of integrity. He excelled in his work. And if we want to make a difference in this world, that's part of where it starts. He says, nor, nor was there any error fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. One thing about it, if you're living in Babylon, you should be prepared for persecution and false accusation. But it needs to be false accusation because we're living with integrity. It says, these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the uh, den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign this writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, here's the key, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And he prayed silently in private. Is that what it says? It says, in his upper room, I like this, with the windows open. And this wasn't some deal, you know, praying to be seen of men like Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. This was a bold a declaration that I trust in the true and the living God, Yahweh, and I'm not going to back down. I'm going to call on his name. I'm going to stand for him. But notice what it says. It says he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And here's the key. As was his custom, his habit. Since early days. You want to live a fruitful life? You want to succeed in private or in public? It's all based on our private habits. Listen, you want to live the life that God wants you to live? You got to spend time with God. There's no way around it. You can't do it apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do it apart from spiritual discipline. You can't do it apart from prayer and Bible reading and confession and fellowship and, and, and worship. Discipline, private devotion leads to public victories. That is, in a nutshell, the story of Daniel's life. And it can be the story of our lives as, as well if we'll walk with Jesus in that way. But here's the thing. It was his habit, but it says it was his habit since early days. Where did that habit come from? Well, again, I don't know for sure I'm speculating a little bit, but I think it's biblical speculation. So let's go to Deuteronomy 6, the passage that Josh read earlier, because I'm assuming that this is the answer. It says, Deuteronomy 6.1, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. So he's saying basically, it's got to be in you. You pass it down to your son, to your grandson. 
He says, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So how do we prepare our children? See, Christian parenting is discipleship at the end of the day. It's about seeing Christ formed in them, meaning when they're old enough to be able to actually understand and, and, and know their sinfulness and understand the gospel and respond to the gospel, our first goal, our first priority, our top prayer request should be to see them genuinely converted to Jesus Christ and then to uh, you know, follow him in believer's baptism and then to grow in their faith. And we disciple, according to this passage, by modeling and by teaching. Modeling and teaching. It takes both. It's example and it's instruction. Listen, you can't give what you don't have. You can't lead where you've never been. I mean, parent, don't think because we get an hour a week with them in kids' ministry that they're going to grow up and be spiritual giants. I mean, God in His grace, I mean, He'll use the church and things can happen, but it's your responsibility first and foremost. We're, and I'm, we're going to talk about this just a little bit, but uh, we're called to support that as a church. Our example. Not, not hypocrisy, but them seeing Christ in us. Them teaching us who God is, to love him. You see, ultimately, it's about pointing our children to Jesus. That's the purpose uh, of discipleship. And again, you know, uh, Daniel is one of the Old Testament books that talks directly and pictures the most the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He rules and reigns over all. Again, Danny Aiken uh, puts it this way. He says, Daniel and his three companions remained faithful to their true identity, obeyed God, and were a shining testimony in witness both to God's providence and to his grace. He sent them on a missionary journey, making them leave all that was familiar so they might bear a faithful and true witness to kings and nations in foreign lands. They beautifully typify another Hebrew who will arrive 600 years later, who was also sent to a foreign land to bear witness to the one true God, a Jew by the name of Jesus. Like Daniel and his friends, the Son of God would leave his home and willingly embrace a sinful world without defiling himself even once. Like these Hebrew boys, he would find favor with God and man. While he was still a child, his, his teachers were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Christ is the greater Daniel the greater Hananiah, the greater Mishael, and the greater Azariah. Jesus refused to compromise when he faced the emperor behind the emperor, Satan. How did Satan tempt Jesus to defile himself? 
He did so with food, yet Christ remained faithful. Christ took the judgment faithless Israel deserved at the hands of another pagan empire, but he walked away from death to outlast the Roman Empire and every empire to come because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's a certain divine irony in all this that is hard to miss. It is grace-filled and gospel-rich. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah will give a faithful witness before Ashpenaz and Nebuchadnezzar and be brought to live in the king's palace. Jesus, in contrast, would give a faithful witness before Herod and Pilate, but be nailed to a cross. And yet by his death, all who trust him will live forever with the king of kings and lord of lords in his eternal palace. So be strong and of good courage in whatever God calls you to do. He is with you, the fourth man in the fire, and he is accomplishing so much more than what meets the eye. So, what do we do with this? All of us. This question. Is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered to him? Are you trusting him? Is your life in his hands? For young people, I challenge you to surrender to Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Give him your life. Don't give the world your life. Don't live your life based on their lies. Follow the truth, which is, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. But even now, begin to live with spiritual discipline in private. And let God develop you, grow your character, your integrity, your gifting God will use you now, and he will prepare you for what he has prepared for you in the future. And you can live a life that will outlast you, that will outlive you, that will be fruitful, that won't be wasted, that will be of eternal value. Live with conviction. Be a witness of Jesus Christ. Get as far upstream as possible to make as big a difference in culture as possible. For some of you, that's being pastors and missionaries and full-time vocational ministry. For some of you, that's building the kingdom of God and being a witness in various spheres of life, whether it's politics or law or or government or as a teacher or as a nurse or as a doctor or whatever it may be. We need people bearing witness to Jesus Christ and to the truth in every sphere of life. And that's how one life at a time we're going to make a change in our culture. There's a verse, it's actually the second half of a verse later on in Daniel, Daniel 11.22 that I love. It says this, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I pray, true life, that we would be people who know our God and God uses us to carry out great exploits, particularly our kids in the future. My kids, your kids, that's what I would love to see when I'm an old man 50 years from now. (laughs) 50, yeah. Um, (laughs) For parents... Why are you laughing so hard at that? Uh, For parents, let's make the discipleship of our kids one of the main priorities and passions of our lives. Lead them to Jesus. Model it. Which part of modeling it is repenting. It's apologizing when we blow it and we blow it a lot. Being honest with them. 
It's teaching them. It's preparing them to get as far upstream as possible. It's letting them go. Letting them go away four and a half hours to college, maybe when you're not uh, altogether wild about that sometimes. As a church, as a church, let's continue to make the next generation a priority. Uh, at, at the convention, uh, there's a man by the name of Shane Pruitt who's over collegiate ministry for the North American Mission Board. And he said this, he said, if we don't reach our future, we have no future. If we don't reach our future, we have no future. That's one of our priorities at True Life. So, thank you to those of you who serve in kids' ministry, in the crucible and forge. I hope you're thankful for our leaders. I mean, Leanne, Jacob, Andy, the leaders that work with them are wonderful. And I would encourage us... um, particularly in kids' ministry because of our growth. We need some of you to step up and help there. Make a difference, not just in your kids' life, but in other kids' lives. And understand, you know, uh, I mean, we have like 70 people that work in kids' ministry, but we need more right now. And some of you may think, I got kids all the time, that kind of thing. Don't make it all depend on everybody else. Make a difference. So I I would challenge, I mean, that's not for everybody, but some of you, you're good with kids. Step up, make a difference here. Something I want to just go ahead and mention to you that's a little bit down the road, but, and you'll be hearing a lot about it, but so remember, Steve Payson's been with us a couple times, he's an evangelist out of Georgia, he's going to be back with us the third weekend in August, and one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to do a huge outreach to Carson Newman, you know, uh, started the Fords this year, it's gone great. But we really want to build it, see it grow, try to reach uh, as many college kids as we can, send them out. I mean, continue to remember to pray. Remember Josh Rose in Pittsburgh right now, serving as a missionary this summer. Sounds like he's going great. But, you know, this isn't going to be a forge effort. It's going to be a church-wide effort. And so I'm expecting a lot of you to serve in this, okay? I mean, we really plan on doing this up big. I think it's going to be a cool thing. It's going to be something that God really uses. And then uh, we did this last summer. We're doing another youth seminar uh, let's go ahead and give you some, you'll hear more about this, but if you have kids and youth groups, it's called Train for War. And this is what Grayson sent me about. He's our youth intern. Uh, parents must have their own faith, so they must step up and disciple their kids in faith to then spread and live out the gospel individually and collectively. So if you want to like, kind of flesh out what I've talked about today, come to this seminar. It's 10 to 3, three different teaching sessions, Q&A panel, lunch, costs $10 a person. There's child care July the 30th. So go ahead and put that in your calendar. If you got kids in youth group, July 30th, 10 to 3. And again, be an opportunity to flesh out some of what I've talked about uh, today. So again, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to surrender to Christ. If you've got questions about that, if you're online, reach out to the host. If you're here, come talk to me. We are Christians. Let's discipline ourselves to spend the time with God in private. Then let him use us publicly. Parents, let's make this a a, a priority. Let's pray.